Take your Bibles, we'll go to Psalm 119, is where we'll be, Psalm 119. And uh, looking forward to this passage of Scripture here. I'm going to ask the gentlemen, if they will, to help me out here. They've got a sheet of paper. I know this is a little different from what you're used to. We come to church and we come to the adult service and uh, we sit and we listen to preaching and we go home. Uh, But I am a youth pastor at heart. And so I'm handing a sheet of paper out and there's two sides to it. There's the side with the sheet folded over and a side with the, the back with questions. If you'll do me the favor of just looking at the side that's folded over to start with. I want to do this uh, because it helps me. One of the things that I like to do is I like to try to think about things when I'm beginning to to look and think about things in such a way that's going to cause my heart or my mind to be thinking truthfully about the situation. I do this from time to time with teenagers. This sheet of paper is for you. I do encourage you here in just a second. We're going to ask you, if you can, to to fill it out, but I'm not going to ask you to turn it in. I'm not going to ask you to give it to me or tell anybody the answer. I'm just going to ask that you give it the consideration that it's uh, going to help us. I really do think it'll help us. We're coming tonight continuing our series that we've been doing while we've been up here on Wednesday nights of don't do only as I do or do as I do, not only as I say. I always mess that up. Do as I do, not only as I say. If you haven't been with us past two Wednesdays that we've been in here, the first Wednesdays of the month, We've been preaching on this thought or this idea of we as the adult Christians, the mature Christians, the ones who are being looked up to, who are being watched, who are being followed in some of the things that we do. We do a lot of things sometimes by chance that we say one thing, but we don't follow through in our Christian walk. Uh, I'm not just talking to parents, I'm talking to Sunday school teachers, I'm talking to deacons, I'm talking to uh, men of the church, I'm talking to the ladies of the church, I'm talking to all members of the church here in all aspects. And sometimes when I'm speaking, it's very easy when we're talking about this to kind of speak specifically to the parents. But if you're here and you don't have children that are still in, the, in our church or they've grown and things, please do not tune me out. Please do not... Go and say, well, he's talking to just the parents. Because the truth is, is that we're not. A perfect example of this was Sunday night, if you were here, our teenagers stood up and uh, Brother Jonathan came up. They did a great job, by the way. And I'm not saying that because I'm youth director. I'm saying that because they encouraged me. Jonathan comes up and was leading and then sings the song. He says, if that doesn't, if that doesn't stir you up your woods wet, if that doesn't like to fire your woods wet. And it got asked the question as a disclaimer, just to be clear. I had nothing to do with that. It was nothing of me. That was all the teenage boys. So that needs to be be established in public so it's known. But they're watching. They're paying attention. What we say, how we respond, how we act. And so the first message we preached was exactly on that idea that it's time that we do something. That we take more evidence and more stock and more uh, appreciation and more attention to the things that we as the adult Christians, if I could say it this way because we say it another way, the church of today will needs to pay attention because the church of tomorrow is watching. Last time we spoke, we, we came together and we talked about that matter of prayer. We say prayer changes things. We say prayer fixes things. We say prayer is powerful. We say prayer works. We say all these things, but yet we rarely ever pray. And when we do, we do it in a closet somewhere because, yes, the Bible does talk about having our prayer closet, and that's important, 
But how are our young people in our homes and in our church ever going to learn what real prayer looks like if they don't ever see it? Remember, the disciples learned what prayer looked like by watching Christ pray, hearing Him pray. They understood that. And so tonight we come to a matter that I think is as equally as important, and you all would agree, is the matter of how we view the Scriptures, the Word of God. It's interesting that when we think of probably the two greatest aspects of the day-to-day Christian life, it's prayer and the Bible. Prayer and the Word. Prayer and devotions. It's interesting we use that word devotions, and we'll talk more about this in just a moment. And uh, some of us, I wonder if we even really think about what that word means or how we apply it. And so now tonight we're looking at Psalm 119. We're coming to a passage of scripture that might quite possibly be the greatest chapter in the Bible on the word of God itself. Of all the verses in all of Psalm 119, all of them with the exception of two make direct reference to the word of God. Not only is this the longest chapter in the Bible... But it talks continually over and over and over and over again about the Scriptures. And it helps us. There's a lot of interesting facts and features about this chapter that that really is interesting when you get to it. It's been called the the saints' alphabet because each section starts with one of the Hebrews' letters. And we don't see that in our our English translation of the Hebrew there, but they, they would have that. But it's a beautiful thing to see the importance of the Word of God and how God emphasizes that. This sheet of paper that I just gave to you is simply just a little survey to kind of get our hearts and minds thinking in this way about how we view the Word of God. Would you look at it with me if you don't mind? The part that's folded over, I'd like for you to look at this. And if you don't mind, I'd like for you to answer this as truthfully as you can and... um, Here's what I want us to do tonight. Nobody looks at anybody else's paper, so Zach, don't cheat off of Miss, Miss Jessie, so don't get the answers, okay? You've got to answer it for yourself. And I want you to answer this question. Here's the question. Personal scripture engagement beyond reading, including studying, scripture comparison, and memorization is critically important to the healthy growth and life of a Christian. Now, that's a lot of words. But I want you to look at that. Maybe you need to read it again, or I'll read it again here. And then I want you to answer what you think. Do you strongly disagree, disagree, somewhat disagree? I hate these kind of questions, so I'm sorry that I gave it to you on this one, but it's there. Let me read it again. Personal scripture engagement beyond reading, including studying, scripture comparison, and memorization, is critically important to the healthy growth and life of a Christian. If you'd circle your answer there, And I want you to look at that for a second and see where you're at, how you view. Now we're going to turn the page over. I didn't want the other questions to maybe influence your answering of the next few questions. Number one, I know this is a little different for us tonight. We're going, what? what, he's supposed to be preaching. We're getting there, trust me. Uh, This is just an illustration for us to help us get to where I think the Lord would have us tonight. How many times a week do you personally... Do you personally engage the scriptures outside of church, ministry preparation, or family devotions? So in other words, take your family devotion time out of it, take your preparation for Sunday school or for Clarksville Recovery or for School of the Bible or for Nursing Home, 
Take all those things out of it. And how many times a week would you say that you engage in the scriptures outside of church? They're there. One to two times a week, three to four times a week, five to six times a week, or daily. This is on average. Not what you feel like you should, but on average would say truthfully to yourself. Again, no one's looking. It's just for you and for your own self. Number two, on average, these personal engagements with the scriptures last a few minutes, five to, 10, five to 15 minutes, 15 to 30 minutes, 30 minutes to an hour or longer than an hour. Number three, how many of those engagements with the scripture include the following? Now, let me help explain this one because apparently this was a little difficult for some to understand and uh, this was how it was. So if you circled five to six times a week, you're engaging in the scriptures. Of those five to six times a week, how many times are you reading the Bible? Ideally, most people probably would put five to six on the reading. Obviously, because most people, the majority of what their engagements for the scriptures are, are reading. The next one, deeper study and comparison. When I say comparison, I mean comparing scripture with scripture. You're, you're digging into the word. You're doing more than just opening a devotional and reading the scriptures, but you're actually studying the word of God. How many times of those average would you, would you say, I spend doing that? And then the last one, and I think if we were honest with ourselves, this is probably the one that we might dangerously say is the worst here, or the least, so to speak. How many times of those times a week are we actively working on memorization throughout the week? Here's an interesting question for you, number four. What passage, topic, or book of the Bible are you actively studying right now? You say, I don't have one, that's okay. Maybe you're in between, maybe you haven't started yet. That's okay, that's not a problem. Number five, what's the biggest hindrance to Scripture engagement in my life? Or the biggest hindrance to Scripture engagement in my life is? There's a few answers there, probably some of the most common, but there's a blank there. If yours is other, um, then mark it. It's, this is just a tool. That's all that this is. It's just a tool to get our thoughts and minds thinking, you know, what's my life like when it comes to the Word of God? Six, when was the last time you actively memorized Scripture? When was the last time you actively memorized Scripture? You know, we tell our teenagers all the time, memorize Scripture. Study the Word, memorize Scripture. We talk about the kids. Oh, did you learn your memory verse? When did that become a thing that stopped? For, it was a thing that young people did, and now we as adults, we don't do it anymore? We'll get to that in a few moments when we talk about the Scriptures, but that's kind of the viewpoint we did. What would happen if your Sunday school teacher came to you and said, this week, in the wisdom class or the young families class or the young adults class or the adults class and said, here's your Scripture memory verse for the week. Some of you would look at them like they were, what in the world? Does they think I'm a kid? Maybe we need to get to that, Brother Zach. Here's the church memory verse for the week. That might be good. I'm going to talk faster about that. I'm going to be the first one to mess that up. I know I am. Number seven, reading and studying the Bible is to me, and there's a few words. Now, some of you might look at that words and go, oh, man, I would never mark those words. I want you to be honest with yourself. There was a time and point in my life where some of these words would be the case. It's just the truth. It's not to make you feel ashamed. That's not what the point of this is. It's not to make you feel down. It's not to make you feel judged. You're not turning it in. You're not giving it to anyone. 
the point of this whole sheet, honestly, is to get us to go, does this side match this side? If we said here on this side, we agree or strongly agree with the statement, then what I'm doing, does it match? Because if it doesn't, then what you're telling your young person is, do what I say, but don't do what I do. Psalm 119, we come to this great passage on the Word of God, and we'll begin reading for sake of time in verse number 97. Psalm, Psalm 119 has a wonderful development of growth, or if you will, there's a progression from the beginning of the chapter to the end, and the psalmist has a viewpoint or a progression when it comes to the Scriptures about their perspective or their viewpoint on the Word of God. Right about this verse, between verse 92 and 97, you start to see the change, really, the shift in that perspective, so to speak. Say, wait a minute, and we'll see this. If we were to read verse number 1, we'd say, well, they talk about the Bible in such a strong way in the 1. Yes, but let's listen to the verses of 97 through 104, and let's hear how the psalmist has started to write about the Word of God and some of the words they use and the change in which they speak and sing these words. And listen to me, if you will, as we read this scripture. Oh, how love I thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Though through thy commandments hast made me wiser than mine enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for thy testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients, because I keep thy precepts. I have refrained my feet from every evil way, that I might keep thy word. I have not departed from thy judgments, for thou hast taught me. How sweet are thy words unto my taste. Yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through thy precepts I get understanding. Therefore I hate every false way. We can begin to see in this passage that the psalmist begins to take almost a change or a viewpoint from the perspective here, and we'll talk about this just in just a moment, that begins to develop and begins to grow. It gets sweeter. I love the words. There's a, there's a scripture song we sing with the kids from sometimes, and you may know it. I have refrained my feet from every evil way that I might keep thy word. And it's a wonderful song. We sing it to the kids. We talk about honey. There's nothing greater than fresh local honey. It's sweet. It's wonderful. It doesn't have a, a, a shelf life, if you will, to speak, that it's gotten old, it's worn out, it's done. It has such a wonderful taste to it. And yet the psalmist says here, I would rather have the word of God on my lips and on my tongue than even the sweetest of honeys. There's a change. There's a viewpoint here. It's amazing. And so let's look at a few things in this passage that will help us to see the importance of this word. Number one, let's look at the power of the word. The power of the word. If I were to come up here and I were to stand and I would say the word of God is powerful, I have no doubt that the entire church for the most part would say, Amen! That's right! If I were to preach the whole message tonight about the power of God, we would agree and we would shake our heads and we would nod and we would, we would agree in all those things. And it's true because the word of God is powerful. 
Can I, can I show you in this passage just a few things? A few things. I'm going to move quickly. Don't worry. There's only 13 that I'm going to show you tonight. Don't worry. It's going to be quick. We're not going to labor on them all. 13 things. that Just this passage alone tells us about the Word of God. And, and this is not exhaustive. This is just some of the ones that are uh, out there and seen. Number one, it's a life-cleansing word. Would you look at verse number nine with me? Psalm 119, verse 9. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word. If you know somebody who needs to get their life clean, give them the word of God. Uh, Isn't it amazing, I think, that what's so different, and Brother Scott will agree to this, he'll say amen heartily. The difference between Clarksville Recovery and some other program that has steps and things is it's centered around the word of God. Why? Because the word of God changes lives. It is the tool that God uses to affect us. It is given by the Holy Spirit and used by the Holy Spirit to make a change in our life and cleanse us thoroughly. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereby according to thy word. Not only is it a life cleansing book, but look at verse number 11. It's a sin preventing book. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. You want to know why we as adults have a hard time with our sins still? Because we've stopped memorizing Scripture. Because we've stopped memorizing Scripture. I'm preaching to myself. I don't memorize Scripture like I should. You say, well, you're on staff at a church. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I should spend more time memorizing Scripture in the office instead of working on designs and working on activities for the teenagers and things. Maybe that would change their lives. It's time that we make a change in our churches and we as adults stop looking at this thing as something that we do and start looking at it as something that we really should live. Christianity is not just an exercise of faith. It is the faith life. And the Bible says here that if we want to keep sin of our life, if you're tired of sin, God's already given us the answer. Memorize scripture. Keep it in your heart. Keep it on your mind. Keep it before you. Dwell on it, meditate on it, think about it, speak it to others. It's a a sin-preventing book. Interesting enough, not only in verse 11 does does he say this, but he also says it again in verse 133 a little bit different. Would you look with me at verse 133? We'll come back to the the beginning, so if you've got to turn one page here. 133 says, Order my steps in the word, and let not any iniquity have dominion over me. There's still a lot of Christians who have let sin have dominion over their life. Why? Because they're not in the scriptures like they should be. Help us, Lord. Not only is it a life cleansing book and a sin preventing book, but we see another thing. It's a book filled with wondrous things. It says here in verse number 18, Open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. You know what I find so often with the, the Christians who, who have, find a hard time to be in the Scriptures and, and read the Word is they've forgotten all the wondrous things that are found in the Scriptures. They've gotten past the wonder of it all. May we never get past the wonder of the Scriptures and what God has done for us. And you say, well, what wondrous things? Well, here, let me talk about a few of them. Salvation. Come on. That's wondrous. That God would take a sinful, wretched, vile, creation and redeem it to glory that's wondrous 
The fact that we have redemption, that's wondrous. The fact that we have truths about God, that the Almighty Creator would come and say, hey, let me tell you about myself. Let me reveal myself to you. Let me show you who I am and how I love you and I've given you grace and I've given you mercy and I desire to have companionship with you. That's wondrous. It's not something to be taken lightly. It's important. Not only truths about God, but truths about Jesus. That he standeth on the right hand of the Father ever, making intercession for you and I. That's wondrous. We're not left alone. We don't have someone not pleading our account. We have the greatest advocate we could ever have, standing actively, sitting actually, right by God Almighty and saying, it's been taken care of under the blood. It's under the blood. It's under the blood. And I say to that, thank the Lord we have Jesus and We're told about it in the scriptures. We're told about the Holy Spirit. You want to know why we as Baptists have such a hard time when it comes to things about the Holy Spirit? Because we don't read enough about the Holy Spirit in the scriptures. We've let the charismatics have that. Give that to them. Yeah, they may take some things too far, but we don't take some things far enough. It's wondrous. And yet when we talk about the scriptures to our young people... Do they see the wonder of it? You ever watched it? It's so enjoyable uh, to read my, the Bible with my kids before we go, they go to bed at night. And we're reading there. And I was reading the other night. And uh, I've been a little, uh, I guess you could say, sneaky, mean, rude. And uh, we were talking about reading through First Samuel. And I left them on a cliffhanger. They're like, what happens? What happens? Because you have to come back tomorrow. They're like, Dad, we don't have a choice. You have to come back tomorrow. But think about it. Those of you that teach the kids Sunday school classes when you're you're talking about giants and walls and fire and brimstone from heaven and, and fire falling on the altar and you're talking about walking on water and you're talking about stopping storms. Yeah, it's got some wonder to it all. But the truth is, is that you and I have heard the stories over and over again and guess what? We've lost the wonder. It's a wondrous book. It's a book of delight. It's a book of delight. Look with me at verse number 24. Thy testimonies also are my delight and my counselors. If I were to ask you the question, what do you take delight in? If pastor was up here and I asked him, you know what I can know he would answer? He takes delight in a big old greasy hamburger. We know that. As a church, he has made that known to us. You say, wait a minute, are you saying he takes more delight in a hamburger than the word of God? No, I know our pastor. He delights in the word of God. But there's a lot of Christians who take more delight in the things of this world than they do in the Word of God. They take more delight in their social media than they do in the Word of God. They take more delight in their activities on their phones than they do the Word of God. They take more delight in their family than they do the Word of God. It's a dangerous place. It's interesting. We'll come to this again in just a moment. But that word delight is actually used nine different times in this one passage. Could you say, the word of God is my delight? What's interesting, though, about that word delight is that it's found more towards the beginning of the chapter than it is found later in the chapter. There's that development, and we'll talk about that in a moment. Not only is it a book of delight, but look again at the same verse. It's a book of counsel. Do you need wisdom? Do you need someone to give you some advice? Go to the word. 
We, we want counselors and we want people to tell us, and the Bible talks about how there's safety in a multitude of counselors and, and that it's good to go to counselors. But yet we'll go and ask everybody all these questions, but the last place we go is to the place that the Bible says is our counsel. And it is wise counsel. Why not go to the source itself for all the counsel? It's, it's the best place we can go. It's a strengthening book. Verse number 28. My soul melteth for heaviness. Some of you have worked long shift today. You've tired. You're worn out. You're mentally beat down. Yes, absolutely. Your soul melteth for heaviness. Look at what the psalmist says. Strengthen thou me according unto thy word. You need help. You're tired. You're worn out. You're beat down. You're struggling with life. You're struggling with situations. Run to the word. It will strengthen you. Another thing. Number seven, if you're keeping track. We're almost there. It's a book better than thousands of gold and silver. Look at verse number 72 with me, if you will. The law of thy mouth is better unto me than thousands of gold and silver. Not just gold and silver, thousands of gold and silver. And yet we've got some Christians who will work 70, 80 hours a week and they're tired and worn out and can never get to the scriptures in the life because they're working too much. Why? Because they're searching gold and silver. Say, wait a minute, I've got bills to pay. I've got things to do. Maybe you need to cut back. I, I don't know your life. I don't know the situation. But give it to the Lord. Run to the scriptures. It's not only, it's not only mentioned once. Look at 127 with me. Therefore, I love thy commandments above gold, yea, above fine gold. Do we believe it or do we just read it? It's an eternally settled book. Verse number 89 says this, forever, forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Verse 142 says it this way. Thy righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, and thy law is truth. So Psalm 119, 152 says it this, Concerning thy testimonies, I have known of old that thou hast founded them forever. It's never going to pass away. It always will be, and praise the Lord, I, I'm glad that we have a foundation that is firm and lasting and will not be battered by the storm. It will stand the test of time. It has stood the test of time and it will continue to stand the test of time because this is an everlasting book. It's a precious book. Look at verse number 97. We're getting there. Look at, the, look at how the psalmist phrases the words. Whenever you see that word, oh, in the scriptures and you're reading your, script, your Bible, I, I try to read the Bible with emphasis. I, I'm not a grammar person, though if you've heard me preach, it seems like it comes up every time I'm preaching. The Lord's like slapping me in the face. Oh yeah, you don't like grammar? Pay attention. Look at the words. We get so busy reading the scriptures that we, forgot, we forget about the, the commas and the periods and the exclamation marks and the points. Almost always when you see that word, oh, it's not to be read, oh, how love I thy law. No, no, no. If you'll excuse me, if you'll pardon me for just a moment. It's supposed to be said as, oh, how I love thy law. How love I thy law. Notice the exclamation point at the end. This is not a mere statement. 
We should not read the scriptures dull and boring because they're not dull and boring. They're not written dull and boring. The originator of language is God himself. So when he put question marks, he means it to be a question. And when he puts periods, he means it to be periods. And when he put exclamation points, praise God, it better have an exclamation point to it. So when he says, oh, how love I thy law, that's what we should be saying. God, I love your word. It's precious to me. We think of those videos that we've seen and those people that we've played down in the, down in the gym and, and they give out the Bibles and what do they do? They hold it near and dear to themselves. They, they kiss it and they, and they love it and they take care of it and they cherish it. Why? Because it's precious to them. But we in America, we toss it around and, and we let it get dusty and, and, and we don't take care of it and we don't read it and we don't cherish it. Why? Because it's not precious to us. It's not precious to us. Not, not like we say it is. Why? Oh, we know the right answers to give, don't we? It's amazing that in this passage of Scripture, he mentions the word delight nine times concerning the Scriptures, and 12 times he says he loves the Word. It's not just a precious book. It's a light-giving book or a guiding book. Look at 105. You all know this verse. Here's one of those verses you probably memorized when you were a kid. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It gives us light. It gives us guidance. Once again, we look for guidance and direction, but we never run to the word. We never follow the word. We we always consult it last. Lord, help us. Not only here in 105, but look at 130 as well. The entrance of thy words giveth light. It giveth understanding unto the simple. We need some understanding. Help us, Lord. It's a book that gives understanding. We see that in 130. It's an awe-inspiring book. Would you look with me at verse number 161? Princes have persecuted me without a cause, but my heart standeth in awe of thy word. I rejoice at thy word as one that findeth great spoil. When was the last time you stood in all of the scriptures? Not, not the preacher, not the sermon. You stood in all of the scriptures. When was the last time you personally opened the word and you dug into it and you were sitting in, in, in your house, you were sitting wherever you were studying the scriptures and you just couldn't stop reading. You just couldn't stop turning the pages and comparing scripture with scripture. You just couldn't stop taking notes on what you were reading because you were standing in awe of the word of God. In 165, we see that the Bible is a peace-providing book. Great peace Not just peace. Great peace have they which love thy law. We have a world that needs peace. Why? Because we have a world that needs the word of God. We've gotten away from this. And we we wonder why there's no peace in our nation. We wonder why there's no peace in the world. Because we as Christians have left this. So we've seen the power of the word of God. Let's look at the perspective considering the word real quickly. Again, I said nine times in the Psalms, he uses the word delight. It starts in verse 16 and it goes through all the way to 172. But it's, again, it's, it's very heavy in the beginning of, the, uh, of the, the chapter. Look at verse number 16 with me. It says, I will delight myself in thy statues. 
Verse number 24 says, Thy testimonies also are my delight. 35 says, Make me to go in the paths of thy commandments, for therein do I delight. 47 says, And I will delight myself in thy commandments, which I have loved. 70. It says here, Their heart is as a fat as, as grease, but I delight in thy law. 77 says, Let thy tender mercies come unto me that I may live, for thy law is my delight. 92. Unless thy law have been my delights, I should have perished in mine affliction. We could go on, 143, 172 there. And if notice here that at the beginning he says, well, your word, it's, it's a delight. That word delight gives this idea of enjoyment or pleasure. And that's a good thing. We should take pleasure. We should take enjoyment in the scriptures. But I want you to notice the perspective change in the passage. Early on, the, the law is a delight, or he takes delight in them. It becomes a delight. But by the end, it's not, no longer just a delight, just simply a delight. Now it's a love. In verse 42, the Bible says it this way. So shall I have wherewith to answer him that reproach me, for I trust the word. I think I've gotten that one written down wrong, so pardon me on that one. Verse 48. That's probably 47. 47 was the first one there. My wife uh, typed that one up for me there, uh, and my handwriting was chicken scratch, so um, blame that one on me, not her. Uh, 47, and I will delight myself in thy commandments, which I have loved. 48, my hands also will I lift up unto thy commandments, which I have loved, and I will meditate in thy statues. 97, we're just looking at the scriptures here, letting the scriptures do in the preaching. Oh, how love I thy law. 113, I, have vain, I hate vain thoughts, but thy law do I love. There are a lot could be said right there. You could preach a whole message right there on that thought. How many times do we go throughout the day with vain thoughts? And just, they just float in and float out and float in and float out. Why? Well, if we spent more time on the scriptures, we wouldn't have so many vain thoughts. 119. Thou puttest away all that wicked of the earth like dross. Therefore, I love thy testimonies. 127. Therefore, I love thy commandments above gold, yea, above fine gold. 132. Look thou upon me and be merciful unto me as thou usest, as thou usest to do unto those that love thy name. Verse 140. Thy word is very pure. Therefore, thy servant loveth it. 159. Consider how I love thy precepts. Quicken me, O Lord, according to thy loving kindness. 163, I hate and abhor lying, but thy law do I love. Do you hate and abhor lying? Or does it just drive you crazy a little bit? Maybe if we got more in love with the scriptures, we would stop being people who lie. You say, I'm not a liar. We all go through life telling lies, living lies, that we try to put on masks and say things and... It's amazing here how the word really deals with it. 165, great peace have they that love thy law. 167, my soul hath kept thy testimonies, and I love them exceedingly. The word love here gives this idea of an intense desire. In other words, another way that it was been put, it means to breathe after. 
It, it means that, that you can't go without breathing it in. Uh, husbands, you remember when, when you were chasing after your wife, trying to get her to, to marry you, and you would follow her around, and you'd catch a, a, a whiff of her perfume or of her hairspray or whatever it was, and you just thought, oh, man, that, oh, I can't just get enough of that. Uh, oh, to have that desire, to have that, that breathe after. Let me just follow around. It's like that geeky little kid that walks around, and we all know the mouth breather. And the, the idea of the scriptures here is, think about it, though, we laugh, but God is saying, hey, when was the last time that we just, we just couldn't get enough of the, the aroma of the scriptures? We couldn't just dig into it enough. There wasn't enough of it. We had to have another page and, and another verse and another chapter and, a, and another book. And we had to have a, another verse and another page and another chapter and another book. Or it was like, well, I'm only going to read two verses. Okay, I'm done. Okay, oh, let's see here. I'm going to set my alarm. I'm going to read the Bible for five minutes today. Oh, it's been two and a half. Why does it seem like it always takes forever? Why does it seem like I can never get there? I'll tell you why. Because we don't love the word. Oh, sure, we take delight in it. Oh, sure, we, 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 we find pleasures in it. But we don't love it. That brings us to the third thing. The present problem. You'll find this in the scriptures. Or should I rather say, you won't find it. So what do you mean? You read this passage and you will not see Christians today. At least not a lot of them. Not the overwhelming majority. You read this passage and you look at it and you go, who's this guy? Who's the Mr. Spiritual here that loves the Lord and talks about the Word and talks about how it's better than gold and talks about how it's his delight and talks about how he loves it and talks about how he tries to keep it so it keeps him from sin and how he refrains it. You know, it's interesting to look over at the end of the chapter with me. I read this and I go, oh, Lord, help me. We, we, we have a hard time reading the Scriptures uh, and praising the God because of His Word one time. Look at verse number 164. What's the first word? Seven times. Seven times a day do I praise thee because of thy righteous judgment. When was the last time you went seven times throughout the day and said, God, thank you, praise you, glory to God for the scriptures. The present problem is this is not the Christianity we live. This is not our perspective of the word. This is a perspective that's gone by and we've let it slip away. I'm not preaching at you, I'm preaching to myself. I'm a preacher, Brother Zach. I don't love the word like this. I would love to. I want to. And the truth is, is that the more that I get into it and when I actually do spend the time and make the, the time for all these things, you know what I end up finding myself saying? Oh, Lord, I love your word. It's sweet. It's pleasant. It gives me peace. It gives me hope. It gives me strength. Brother Scott Polly, many of you know him, has a bookmark. You can find it on his website. It's got a little, on one side it has several phrases. It says this, Thy word is milk and meat, nourish my soul. Thy word is water, cleanse every area of my life. Thy word is bread, Satisfy the deep longing of my heart. Thy word is a lamp and a light. Show me thy way. Thy word is a seed. 
plant it deeply in me and let it bring forth much fruit. Thy word is a fire. Purge the dross and consume me. Thy word is a sword. Search me and sever anything from me that does not bring thee glory. Thy word is a mirror. Show me my heart as you see it and make me more like thee. The problem is, is we have let the word merely become a good thing to live by instead of viewing it as the source of spirit-filled living. I have no doubt that if I were to ask by a raising of hands how many people in this room want to be known as a spirit-filled Christian, the great overwhelming majority of everyone in this room would raise their hand high and say, that's me, Brother John. I want to be a spirit-filled Christian. I want to live the spirit-filled life. That's me. That's me. And God says, here it is. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter number 2, study to show thyself approved unto God. We know the verse. The word study there literally has the context or the understanding to endeavor. That when the road gets rough, the waters get high, the winds get boisterous, we just keep plowing forward in the word. We just keep digging and we keep going and we don't let Satan and the distractions of this world and the busyness of life bog us down. You know what's interesting is while the majority of churchgoers desire to honor Christ and even profess to think biblically, a recent study found actually few engage in personal reading and study of the scriptures. Can I give you the statistics here? The survey found that 90% of churchgoers agree with this statement. I desire to please and honor Jesus in all I do. That's, that's a good, they agree with that. Praise the Lord. That's a good thing. And uh, about uh, 58% agreed with the statement, throughout the day I find myself thinking on biblical truths. Now that's good. They agreed with that. That was the majority. Uh, agreed with both those statements. But there was a, stiff, there was a, a significant difference between those that agreed and those that strongly agreed. Nearly two-thirds of church growers agreed, so about 64% agreed with the first statement, strongly agreed, I desire to please and honor Jesus in all I do. They strongly agreed with that statement. But listen to this. Only 20% strongly agreed that throughout the day they found themselves thinking about biblical truths. Say, why is our world in the mess? Why is the church in the mess that we have? Because we've lost a love for the word. We can be fed on Wednesday nights. We can get the word on Sunday nights. Our pastor will open the scriptures and give it to us. We love when he preaches. We love when he gives the word. That's not enough. It's not enough. It's not enough to just read our Bibles. The Bible commands us to study it. And I'm telling you right now that there's a generation of young people looking at you, looking at me, listening to us, and they are asking, why do you believe what you believe? And we can't give the answers because we're not in the scriptures enough to be able to give them the answers. And so guess what they say? Well, if they don't have the answers and they don't even know why they believe it, it must not be that important. I'll go find it somewhere else. 
And there are people ready to give them an answer for things that are absolutely not true from the source of truth. You say, what do, we, what do we do about it? How do we make a change? It's time that we make an emphasis on this in our own lives. Say, you don't understand. I, I'm too busy. I don't have time. The average person spends 30 minutes a day on Facebook. 30 minutes a day in the scriptures would make a big difference, don't you think? Maybe it's time we get rid of Facebook and social media. Say, oh, but Brother John, we give our church announcements on Facebook. Yeah, we do. And Instagram. And it's not just Facebook and and Instagram and all those social media people. It's the fact that we have technology at our fingertips and we're consumed with it. The average person spends two and a half hours a day watching TV or user-generated content. You say, what's that? YouTube, TikTok, Reels, Stories. If you say, I don't know what those are, you're good. Good, good for you. Stay where you're at. If you're those people who do know what I'm talking about, it's time we make a change. And I'm sorry, excuse me for what I'm going to say, and I hope this does not come across hateful, but posting a Bible verse on your Facebook is not the same thing as being in the Word. Just because you put a verse on Facebook doesn't mean you've been in the Word. Doesn't mean you're... Now, maybe you're using that as a tool for your verse memorization. That's a good thing. But if that's all you ever do, if that's your limited engagement with the Word of God, I'm sorry, you might take delight in it, but you don't love it. And again, I'm not trying to come across as harsh or mean. It's time that we just stand up and start proclaiming the truth again that we desperately need this. And if we say amen, I strongly agree, then take the back of your survey and see if they match. Because if they don't, it's time for action. The time for talking is done. The time for for good sermons and three-point outlines just means nothing. If the church as individuals is not in the Word on a daily basis, what made Berea stand apart? Why were they praised? Because they went to the Scriptures themselves and they searched the Scriptures diligently. That's what they were praised for. It's time we make a change. So I'm going to give you some quick, brief, practical things to help us. Same thing we did with prayer, right? Practical. We have so many times where we as preachers, we stand up, we challenge you to something, and then we never say, here's some things you can do about it. So very quickly. A, read with a pen and paper. Have a pen and a piece of paper with you. If you're a technology user, sure, get your, get your tablet, get your iPad, get your computer out. But make sure that everything else is closed, everything's notifications are turned off, so you won't be distracted. And sit down with the Word of God and a pen and paper. Be ready to write some things down. Say, what am I writing down? What He's speaking to you about. If you come to God expecting, He will deliver. May I remind you what Hebrews says? That he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. If you're coming to the word and you're not expecting to hear anything from the word, you're not going to get anything from the word. But if you come to the word prepared, ready, pen and paper in hand, ready, reading the word and take the time, you'll get something. B, don't limit yourself. Say, what does that mean? Maybe it's time you start carving out more time for the scriptures. 
In other words, if you wake up in the morning, and look, if you wake up, if you're one of those people who wake up at 3.30, 4.30, 5.30, 6.30, 7.30, 8.30, and you spend time in the Scriptures ahead of time, praise the Lord for you. Amen. But make time in the evening to come back and look again at what you read. So you have some time to really sit in there and study it. We get in the habit of hearing, oh, I need to start my day with the scriptures. And I think that's a good thing. Amen. You should start the day with the scriptures and be in the word. But if you are set on a schedule where you've got to be at work at a certain time, make sure you have some time at the back end of the day where that's carved out, that's set aside for the word. Whatever happened, you know, one of the things we've lost in Christianity is this thing called fasting. It's now become a weight loss trend. Maybe if some of us gave up lunch or dinner to spend time in the Word, maybe we see some things happen. Say, wait, wait a minute, Brother John, you're talking about my food. I need to do it. Amen. C, some other important things here. Write down any questions or thoughts or important references that you have. We've gotten past the idea that, well, I was reading my scriptures and, and I had this question, but I forgot it. Well, that's because you didn't write it down. Write it down. Ask someone Search it out. We don't want to study. We don't want to do the work. We have gotten lazy as Christians because we can go to our pastor, we can go to to the internet, and we can just type in a question and somebody's already put a blog post out about some scriptural thing. Just because it's on the scripture on the word doesn't mean or on the internet doesn't mean it's right. Choose a verse weekly to memorize. Uh oh, here we go. Here we go. He's talking about that memorization thing again. Maybe you choose a verse that pastor preached about Sunday morning. You pick one verse, you memorize it. Maybe it's from your Sunday school lesson. Maybe it's from your family devotions. And to encourage your kids to memorize scripture, you memorize the scripture with them. Don't do only as I say, do as I do. You know what we're going to end up having? A generation of young people who grow up and say, I'm too old, I can't memorize scripture. Where do they learn that from? If I'm raising my hand for you, okay? Say, so you don't understand. You, I have a hard time memorizing scripture. Yeah, we all do. Because there's so much of the world in here, it's hard to get the word in because we have to push it out. We have to force it out. It's time we start memorizing and meditating on the scriptures and stop memorizing sports facts and memorizing statistics and memorizing news briefs and and headlines and political information and all this stuff and start getting back to the point where when a Christian speaks, the word of God just blothers out. Because that's all we can talk. And that's not a good way of saying it, I know. It sounds almost haphazardly. I'm not talking about haphazardly giving the scriptures. I mean, the Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, what? The mouth speaketh. Want to know why Christians aren't ever really talking about the word? Because the word's not in them. We, We don't meditate on the scriptures. And we look at kids. And if you don't think that the teenagers are not paying attention, guess what? I challenge them constantly to memorize scripture. And you know what I hear our teenagers say? I have such a hard time memorizing scripture. I can't do that. Our teenagers. Before too long, it'll be the seven and eight year olds. And if you don't think that's happening, wake up. Because they've heard it from you and from me. We have done them a disservice. 
We have hurt them spiritually because we've made excuses for our lazy Christianity. Because we don't want to take the responsibility before God to do the thing that He has told us to do, to memorize the Word. And we're tired of sin. We're tired of the sickness of our own selves. It's time we memorize Scripture. It's time to make a change. Another thing, slow down. Oh yeah, it's a great thing. I read my Bible through in a year. That's a good thing. It's not a good thing if you got nothing from it. I would rather you read one chapter the whole year and just mm, have so much from the Word of God than I would see you read the whole Bible cover to cover and get nothing from it. We treat this thing like it's a race, like it's a merit badge. I read my Bible through in the whole year. It's a love letter. You ever gone back and read those old letters from your husband or wife or those text messages or those handwritten notes and you just, you just take the time to look at the words and think about what was said and me- think about the memories? Some of you say, no, I don't even have any of those. Sorry. Go back to a voice message or something. Look at a Facebook picture for, for, for two seconds and then get off Facebook. Next thing. Engage the word prayerfully. How often do you open the scriptures and you don't even pray? Lord, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of all. I remember as a teenager, the first time I ever heard someone say prayer of the scriptures, they used that verse. That's what made the change in my life. Because I'd sit down before the service and I'd come down to a seat and I'd sit down and there was bustling going around and there was chattering going around and there was fellowshipping going around and I remember sitting down at time to times and going, God, I need to hear from you. Open my eyes so I can see something wondrous from your word. What would happen if our teenagers who sit on this front row and run around this auditorium and the kids run around talking, stopped and saw adults stopping to pray four minutes before the service, they would think something was wrong. Who got hurt? Who had a heart attack? Who, 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 who's sick? Who's not here? What's going on? No, we just have people prepared for the word. Engage it prayerfully. Here's one that you've heard for so long. Find someone to keep accountable. Not find someone to keep you accountable. Find someone you can help keep accountable. And then let them help keep you accountable. And I'm not talking about this accountability. Did you read your Bible today? Hey, Brother, Brother Marcus, what'd you get out of the word today? Guess what? You'll get encouraged. You'll get helped. And then after you say, hey, what'd you get from it? You say, well, let me tell you what I got from it. Send a text message. Man, I was reading my scriptures, and we got this. It's been a great pleasure to have Brother Zach in the office and, and things. And it's from time to time, he'll be preparing for a message. He'll be reading his Bible. He'll be doing this, and he'll go, man, I, th- look at this verse. Look at this. Look at that. And it's like, mm, let's, have, let's have church in, in the office over there. Spouses. Husbands, it's time we lead our houses spiritually. Dear, let me show you what I got from my scriptures today. Let me tell you what the word has done in my life today. It's time for change. It's time for action. Share when God speaks. Share when God speaks. You ever been on Facebook? I keep going back to Facebook. You ever been on Facebook and that one person was reading the scriptures and they got something from it and it was like, let me tell you what God spoke to me about. And it's like all this thing and you're like, man, that's good. That's good. Hmm. Yeah, share when God speaks. Last thing, find good study tools. 
Say, I don't know how to study the scriptures. Well, conveniently, next semester, shameless little ad here, next semester in the School of Bible, one of the classes is called Methods of Bible Study. Sign up for it. You'll be ready for the fall. You can have it. Uh, your teacher will be me. Yes. My favorite class to teach. I want to look at one more thing in this scripture real quick and we'll be done. If you'll go to Psalm 119, if you'll look at verse number 33 with me. I promise we're done. Thank you for allowing me to preach. I know it's been a little different than what's normal, but I pray it's been a help. Psalm 119 verse 33 says this. Teach me, O Lord, thy way, the way of thy statues, and I shall keep it unto the end. And I think the overwhelming majority of us say, Amen. Teach me, Lord. Teach me. I, I, I want that. I crave that. I desire that. that. That's good. I want that. Look at verse number 34. The Bible says, Give me understanding, and I shall keep thy law. Yea, I shall observe it with my whole heart. And I think the overwhelming majority of us would say, You know what? That's good. I, I want understanding when it comes to scriptures. Amen. That's good. I'll take that. Here's the difference. Look at verse number 35. Make me. And that's where we go. Whoa. Hold on a minute. I don't know that God, I want God to to make me. I I don't know that I'm ready for what that's going to look like. I don't know that I'm ready for what that's going to take out of my life. I don't know if I'm ready for what that's going to have to yield and what that's going to have to surrender. Oh, yeah, I want God to teach me and I want God to give me, but make me? Mm, you're talking a whole other ballgame, Brother John. You're, you're talking about giving up some, some, some control. You're talking about yielding. You're talking about surrendering. And the psalmist here says, Make me to go in the path of thy commandments, for therein do I delight. And I do believe that if you look at the progression of this scripture, that verse 33, 34, and 35 is how the psalmist went from a perspective of delighting in the law to verse number 97 where he says, Oh, how I love thy law. It's because he got to a place in his life where he said, Okay, God, I'm not just willing for you to teach me and I'm not just willing for you to give me. I'm ready for you to make me. I don't know about you, but I'm ready to see God do something. Not just in our church. Not just in our nation. I want to see God move in my life again in a great mighty way. And if that's going to happen, I've got to get to the point where I say, God, just make me. Make me love your word. Make me fall in love with it again. Make me get to the point where I can't go throughout my day without spending time in the scripture. How bad would it be? And I mean bad. I don't mean the word bad. I mean really good. How amazing would it be if the testimony of your life is, they're not on Facebook anymore. And they're not out running around and, and, and spending so much time, extra all those extracurricular activities. Well, why? What changed in their life? All they seem to ever do is study the Word. They're in, the God, they're in God's Word constantly. This little sheet of paper 
was not to condemn you or judge you. It's to challenge you. What would happen if in two weeks we came back after two weeks and we tried to answer these questions again? I wonder if there'll be a change. I wonder if the times that we personally engage in Scripture goes from three to four to five to six. And I wonder if the minutes go up to the next section. Keep this. Put it in your Bible. Use it. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me?